After midnight on July 6, 2012, three teenage girls walked into the thick Appalachian woods somewhere along the Mason-Dixon County line. Hours later, under the glow of a nearly full moon, only two walked out. You may have heard about the Skylar Niece case of three teenage girls, a pact to kill, and one violent night under the stars deep in the West Virginia woods. But you've never heard it like this. From Waveland, I'm Holly Malay. And I'm Justine Harmon. This is Three. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Be love with a locket charm from Pandora. There's a reason your locket necklace lands right on your heart. It's because inside is something precious to you. Inside the locket, there's a message engraved for you. Today, tomorrow, always, which serves as a daily reminder that love is in all that you do. The back is a blank slate for your own engraving. What message do you want to wear around your neck every day? Engraving is available online and in select stores. Plus, Pandora's new Infinity Chain design is the perfect partner for the new Locket Dangle Charms. At Pandora, you can shop rings, necklaces, earrings, and bracelets too, and find the perfect piece for any style, expertly crafted and hand-finished in genuine metals. Shop now at a store near you or online at pandora.net. Our card this week is Mary Beth Pixie Grismore, the Ten of Spades from Indiana. In 1978, Pixie was a young newlywed excited about moving from Indiana back to her home state of Iowa to be with her new husband. That's when she vanished from her own home in the middle of the night, leaving behind few clues and a chilling mystery that's been unsolved for more than four decades. I'm Ashley Flowers, and this is The Deck. It was 8 a.m. on Wednesday, February 22, 1978, and a woman, who we'll call Eleanor, had just arrived at her sister Pixie's house. She was to be there bright and early along with Pixie's two best friends, Dottie and Bev, who were all helping Pixie pack the last of her things before a moving truck got there at 10.30. You see, Pixie was moving out of the house she shared with her ex-husband and their two young sons, which was on the family's farm. She was picking up everything and moving her and her two boys to the middle-of-nowhere town, Corden, Iowa, some 400 miles from her tiny rural town of Marshall, Indiana. And she was moving to be with her new husband, David. But when Eleanor got to Pixie's house at 8, she saw Dottie and Bev but noticed Pixie's car wasn't in the driveway. Dottie and Bev said that they hadn't actually seen her yet either. But they were able to let themselves inside because Pixie rarely locked her doors, something most of her friends knew. 
Minutes ticked by, and there was still no sign of Pixie. Her purse was there, and the clothes that she had been wearing the day before were there, but Pixie herself was nowhere to be found. Eleanor called Pixie's new husband, David, in Iowa to see if he'd heard from her, but he hadn't. The two had only been married for 12 days, and Pixie had spent most of that time in Indiana preparing for the move. Eleanor also phoned Pixie's ex-husband, Robert, who lived in Marshall, but he said that Pixie wasn't with him either. Now, Robert was actually the reason that Pixie was in Indiana to begin with. She and Eleanor were actually from Iowa, but Pixie moved to Indiana in the early 70s when she married Robert. And not long after that, Eleanor also married an Indiana man and ended up living just a mile down the road from Pixie. Needless to say, the two sisters were extremely close, which is why when Pixie got remarried to a man who lived back in Iowa, it was kind of bittersweet for Eleanor. She was sad to see Pixie leave the small Indiana town that they both called home for several years, even though she was happy that her sister found love again. And she knew how excited Pixie was for the move, so she was excited for her. Which is why when Pixie wasn't home that morning, Eleanor couldn't shake the sinking feeling in her stomach that something was terribly wrong. She searched the house for more clues and noticed that it looked as if Pixie had slept in her bed. So Eleanor wondered if her sister had just left to run an errand. But Bev and Dottie said that they went out the night before with Pixie. And she hadn't mentioned anything about needing to go anywhere the next morning. By the time 10 a.m. rolled around, Eleanor couldn't explain away her fears any longer, so she called the local sheriff to report Pixie missing. There was no hesitation. The sheriff's office filed the missing persons report right away, and deputies responded to Pixie's farmhouse to begin an investigation. Investigators poked around the house but found no evidence of anything sinister and few clues pointing to what might have happened to Pixie in the early morning hours of February 22nd. I mean, there were no signs of a struggle, no signs of a robbery or any kind of break-in at her house whatsoever. In fact, a dispatcher for the county sheriff's office told the Indianapolis News a few days after Pixie's disappearance, quote, There's no reason to believe there was foul play, but there's no reason to believe there wasn't either. Dottie and Bev were the last ones to see Pixie, so they were questioned right away. They told officers that they had a girls' night the night before as a little going-away, kind of last hurrah for Pixie. They had all squeezed into the front seat of Pixie's 1973 Ford Thunderbird because the back seat was already packed to the brim full of stuff for her move. And they made the 20-minute drive to the nearby town of Terre Haute, Indiana. Dottie and Bev said that they went to dinner at Red Lobster and then to the movies where they saw Looking for Mr. Goodbar, a crime drama starring Diane Keaton. After the movie, the girls told police that they all went dancing at a bar called Bo Disco, where they had a great time until Pixie dropped them off at home around 1.20 a.m. When they said their goodbyes, Pixie told them that she would see them in the morning to finish packing. And that was that. Dottie and Bev said that she wasn't acting weird at all and genuinely seemed to have every intention of seeing them both in less than seven hours. So, Of course, their first worry was maybe she'd gotten in a car accident on her way home, but that didn't make any sense because her clothes that she had been wearing the night before and her purse were found at the house, so she had to have made it home at some point. 
By mid-morning, Pixie's family and police were half expecting for her to just walk in at any moment and explain that this whole thing had been a misunderstanding and she'd just gone to run that errand. But investigators didn't want to leave anything to chance. So right away, police pulled out all the stops. They got groups together to do ground searches. They used helicopters for aerial searches. They even put one of their most prominent detectives on the case, who was credited with solving the Hollinsburg murders an infamous quadruple homicide in Indiana. But despite their best efforts in those first few hours, they found no trace of Pixie. With so little physical evidence available, law enforcement needed to try something else. They needed to learn more about Pixie's life in hopes of tracking down leads that way. They wanted to find any clues about why she might have left or find anyone who might have had it out for her. As with a lot of cases like this, the spotlight quickly turned to the significant other, but not Pixie's current husband, her recent ex-husband, Robert. Pixie and Robert had gotten married in 1972, and the relationship probably seemed somewhat normal on paper. They were essentially living the American dream, a big farmhouse in a cute little town and two adorable kids. But investigators quickly figured out that their marriage was far from perfect. You see, there were some rumors swirling around town that Pixie hadn't always been faithful to Robert. And one such allegation involved a man that she worked with. Keep in mind, Marshall was a small town. It still is today, so I'm sure police didn't exactly trust every rumor they heard. But the clock was ticking and they wanted to find Pixie, so they had to follow up on everything, even if it was just gossip. People around Marshall told police that between May and November of 1977, Pixie worked at Turkey Run State Park, first as a lifeguard and then as an attendant at the state park's gate entrance. And according to a tip police received, during her employment at the park, Pixie was having an affair with the park manager, who was also married. According to police, this affair went on for a few months. When Robert was interviewed by detectives, he said the affair had essentially become public knowledge by the time he and Pixie divorced in late 1977. Detectives working the case today aren't sure if the park manager was questioned because it's not documented in the case file. But what they do know is that Robert really didn't seem all that bitter about the whole situation. By all accounts, the divorce was amicable. So any theory that the police may have initially had about Robert being a jealous or vengeful ex-husband melted away once detectives talked with him and realized that he wanted to help in any way he could. I mean, he just wanted Pixie to be found safe. Our reporting team talked with Pixie's sister for this episode, who, again, we're calling Eleanor because she didn't want to use her real name. And she said that she never thought Robert was involved with her sister's disappearance in any way. She said there is no chance Robert would have ever kidnapped or hurt Pixie. And by the way, Eleanor wasn't comfortable with being recorded for this episode because of the pain and fear still surrounding her sister's case to this day. But she still wanted everyone to know the kind of person her sister really was. She said that Pixie was this super likable and popular person in the community. Eleanor said that she always looked up to Pixie because people just gravitated toward her, and she was talented in just about every way possible. She could sing and play the piano. She excelled in school. She was in beauty pageants. She was even a finalist in the Miss Iowa pageant when she was 18. But maybe the biggest thing that stood out about Pixie was her confidence. Eleanor said Pixie was ambitious, a natural leader and a trailblazer in a lot of ways. 
Pixie was involved in local politics and ended up serving as the county coordinator for the U.S. Senator Birch Bayh. And she even went on to become Park County's first Democratic chairperson when she was just 24. So it's that confidence that drew people to her. And Eleanor said she still channels her when she needs confidence herself. But it wasn't just Eleanor who felt this way about Pixie. Her whole family adored her. So when police were struggling to find any clues about what happened to her, Pixie's family took matters into their own hands. Eleanor stayed at Pixie's house when police first arrived the morning of February 22nd, and she wrote out a long list of the items that she knew were in Pixie's car. Since Pixie's Thunderbird was missing, officers said it would be helpful to know what exactly they were looking for. Eleanor's list was detailed and gave officers items to be on the lookout for. Things like a music box with ceramic figures that played Laura's theme, and an antique barn wood plaque with the words, Henry, how could you? In those first few days, police took photos of Pixie's house and collected any evidence they could. And searches continued for her in and around Marshall. But they found nothing. Rumors continued to fly both about what happened and about Pixie herself. But none of them stuck as actual leads. According to an article in the Illinois newspaper called The Pantograph, by the time April rolled around and there was still no sign of Pixie, her parents decided to hire a psychic to help find their daughter. But this wasn't just any psychic they hired. This lady was known for helping police solve criminal cases. According to a 1991 Chicago Tribune article, law enforcement estimated that out of the predictions she provided, approximately 80% ended up being accurate. So when this psychic told Pixie's parents that their daughter had been shot in the head and her body had been dumped somewhere near Turkey Run State Park, police wasted no time. Now, if you've ever been to Turkey Run, it is this beautiful, heavily wooded 1,100-acre park about an hour west of Indianapolis with rugged trails and canyons and a creek that runs across the property. That meant that there was a lot of land for police to cover. So on the weekend of April 8, 1978, about six weeks after Pixie's disappearance, law enforcement and volunteers from the community formed a search party to scour the park. Everyone searched tirelessly for hours and hours, but they eventually had to call it quits when they found zero evidence to suggest that Pixie had been there at all before she was killed, much less that her body had been dumped there. To most people, the search probably seemed like a last-ditch effort to locate Pixie because detectives had exhausted the few leads that had come in. And now, even the supernatural tip they pursued didn't pan out. It seemed like all hope of finding Pixie, dead or alive, was lost. But then, 70 days after her disappearance, a disturbing discovery a whole state away left everyone with more questions than answers. My time in the car is some of my favorite time of day because I get a second to catch up on all my favorite podcasts. After relying on public transportation for years, it feels good to be able to drive myself around. But in order to keep doing that, I got to keep my car in the best shape possible. And that's why I have a car protective plan through CarShield. I'm not sure if there is anything more inconvenient than your car breaking down or needing an unexpected repair. But CarShield is changing that. All you got to do is call them and choose the mechanic you want to do the work, and they take it from there. CarShield offers plans with affordable monthly rates that will pay for the sometimes really, really expensive repairs on out-of-warranty vehicles. 
Plans also include exclusive access to CarShield's concierge service, as well as a 24-7 roadside assistance and help with flat or damaged tires, lockouts, and rental car options. Avoid the hassle of costly car repairs with CarShield. Visit carshield.com slash the deck and save 20% today. Again, that's carshield.com slash the deck to save 20%. Visit carshield.com slash the deck to lock in your price today. Thrive Market is your one-stop shop for all of your grocery shopping, which means it's also a big old time saver. I think we all know what it's like to go to several different stores to get everything you need for your household. One store for food, another for household essentials, and then maybe even another one for any dietary restrictions you may have. But Thrive Market has it all and carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. I have really started to enjoy cooking lately, but half the time I end up just ordering out because we don't have everything we need. So Thrive Market is helping me better prepare so I can come home and whip up a meal for me and my husband. And this is honestly my favorite part. When you shop at Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join Thrive Market Gifts. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash deck for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash deck. Thrivemarket.com slash deck. In the spring of 1978, police in Whitehall, Ohio, a town barely east of Columbus, Ohio, received a call from the innkeeper of a local Holiday Inn. The innkeeper was calling in a parking complaint about a car in their parking lot that seemed like it was abandoned. When officers got there, they found a silver-blue 1973 Ford Thunderbird sitting on the east side of the hotel's parking lot, backed into a parking space near some trees. Here's Detective John Dickey with the Whitehall Police Department, who's working the case today. When they were able to look into it, it didn't have any license plates on it. The license plates were missing, but, you know, the the VIN plate was still there and all that. So when they looked into it, uh, they determined that the car had been reported stolen. Officers towed the car to the Whitehall Police Department. And before inspecting it, they did some more digging in the national database. They realized that not only was the car reportedly stolen, but it was associated with an Indiana woman who was missing. The report said that Mary Beth Pixie Grismore and her Thunderbird disappeared back in February in a little town in Indiana that was more than four hours west of Whitehall. Now, I know I'm mentioning a lot of different towns across a few states. So to help you visualize all of this, I actually put a map in the blog post for this episode on our website, thedeckpodcast.com. And we'll link out to that in the show notes. At the Whitehall Police Department, officers got the car into their evidence bay, which is basically like a garage below the agency's offices. And when they got it inside, they noticed a really bad smell. So fearing the worst, police pried open the trunk but they didn't immediately see anything out of the ordinary. They saw some blankets and some towels, a raincoat, and then a foot. Police quickly removed the clutter from the trunk, revealing the decomposing body of a woman. She was wearing blue jeans and a knit sweater that was pulled up over her head, and around her neck was a thin rope. Even though she was in an advanced state of decomposition, Whitehall police could tell that the body matched Pixie's description, 
mainly because of her blonde hair. Whitehall detectives notified the authorities in Indiana that they'd discovered Pixie's missing car and what they believed was her body. And sure enough, after requesting dental records from the Indiana State Police, it was confirmed that it was her. Because of the state of decomposition she was in, police knew that she had likely died weeks before she was found, perhaps even on the very day she had gone missing. The coroner found no signs of sexual assault, and her cause of death came as no surprise— strangulation by rope ligature. Now that Pixie's case had been reclassified from missing person to homicide, the FBI got involved since her abduction crossed state lines. And something that stuck out to investigators right away was the clothing that she was wearing. Like I said, Pixie was dressed in blue jeans and a sweater, but here's what puzzled investigators. She wasn't wearing any undergarments. To them, there were two possible reasons for this. Our investigative team got an exclusive interview with FBI Supervisory Special Agent Ed Wheely for this episode. He's working the case today along with Detective Dickey. To me, there's two possibilities. She was murdered and then dressed in those clothes by someone else. That's certainly a possibility. She did sleep nude, okay? If it's early in the morning and you hear a knock and you know the movers are coming and you rapidly jump up, and pull some clothes on to go answer the door, or you hear something at night and you jump up and pull rapidly. Those are the two possibilities of that. FBI agents leaned into their biggest and really only clue, Pixie's car. It had a few items scattered about, but it certainly didn't look like the car of someone who was moving their entire life from one state to another. Specifically, some of the items that Eleanor had mentioned to them were nowhere to be found. Things like household items, some of Pixie's oil paintings that she liked to sign in all caps, and specifically an antique wall clock that her father had repaired and penciled his initials inside of. After noting the items that were missing, they gathered what they could. Things like beer bottles, a Band-Aid, and a bag containing a map, and they dusted for prints. Investigators were able to pull some prints off the car's exterior, but Agent Wheelie said that they never got any hits on those. Police checked pawn shops in the Whitehall area to see if someone had tried to sell the missing items, but they came up empty. You can actually find a complete list of all of the items that were missing from Pixie's car on our website. It's based off that original list that her sister made for police the morning that she was reported missing. If you somehow have one of those items or if you know someone who does or maybe you even see one of the missing items while you're out thrifting, we're going to have a number that you can call. We're going to put it on the website and at the end of this episode, police are still looking for those items. So now that police knew all of the items that were missing, some of them valued at hundreds of dollars, they began wondering if robbery was the motive. But they didn't have enough evidence yet to settle into that assumption. And it didn't take long for another entirely different theory to be considered, a possible serial killer. According to reporting by the Indianapolis Star, police almost right away noticed similarities between Pixie's murder and another infamous unsolved case in Indiana. Six months before Pixie disappeared, another Indiana resident went missing. Her name was Anne Louise Harmeyer. Anne was a student at Indiana University traveling, and like Pixie, she was also known to be a successful beauty pageant contestant. 
On September 12, 1977, she was driving through eastern Indiana on her way back to school after spending the weekend at home when her car started acting up as she approached the town of Martinsville, which is this town about an hour and a half southeast of Marshall. So she pulls off to the side of the road and then just disappeared. Anne's body was found a month later in a cornfield a few miles away. She had been sexually assaulted, and it appeared that she had been strangled with her own shoelaces, according to Dennis Royalty's reporting for the Indianapolis Star. The similarities between Anne's and Pixie's cases were ones that detectives pondered for a while, but they could never get that theory to stick. Maybe it was because the two women vanished from different parts of the state, or maybe there was just no evidence to point to the possibility of Pixie and Anne being killed by the same person. But whatever the case, investigators once again went back to the drawing board. Though some internet sleuths may still be left to wonder if they're connected, since Anne's case is still unsolved to this very day. Detectives talked to Pixie's ex-husband Robert again, but he still wasn't even close to being a suspect. Not only did he seem genuinely distressed that Pixie had been murdered, but he also had a solid alibi. Robert's mother placed him at her house from around midnight on February 22nd until much later that morning. But the thing about murder investigations, especially in small towns, is that while police need evidence to think of someone as a suspect, members of the community don't. Robert had an alibi and wasn't acting suspicious at all. But that small town gossip was hard to shake. Even in those days before social media, the court of public opinion was a thing. People thought that Robert was involved in the murder. Perhaps he hired someone to kill Pixie, or maybe he'd done it himself. But Pixie's sister Eleanor told us that Robert was truly distraught after Pixie's body was found. And the rumors floating around town only rubbed salt in the wound. And it couldn't have been easy for Robert and Pixie's two kids. They were just two and three at the time of her death, but as they grew up and became aware of the speculation surrounding their father, I'm sure it was beyond hard on them. And I can't imagine how frustrating this was for a family that just wanted to find the person responsible for taking the life of their loved one in such a sinister way. Although the locals struggled to move on from Robert, police continued to pursue other leads. One such lead police found interesting came from a man who was a mechanic in Rockville, Indiana, which is about 10 minutes outside of Marshall. He told police that he had done some work on Pixie's car in February, just a few days before her disappearance. So the mechanic says that he sees a car that's, so he works on her car earlier in the week, and then on the morning that she disappears, he recalls seeing the car and it was being driven by a male. But the problem was, the mechanic couldn't recall much about what the guy looked like. He just knew for sure that it was a man driving the car, and it wasn't Pixie's husband or ex-husband. In June, the mechanic agreed to submit himself to something a bit unconventional, in hopes of getting a better description of the man. He sat down with a sketch artist and allowed himself to be hypnotized. While under hypnosis, he recalled to the artist what he saw, and the artist made a composite sketch of this mystery man. That sketch became the only description of a possible suspect that police would ever get a hold of. Sure, it was obtained through unconventional methods, but investigators had no other physical descriptions of their killer, so they took what they could get. 
We got a copy of this composite sketch, which you can find on our website. As far as we can tell, this sketch wasn't ever publicized, though, so it makes sense that no one came forward saying they recognized the man. As the weeks and months dragged by, tips slowed down, and the search for answers seemed to stall. And it stayed that way for about two years. Pixie's friends and family worried that they would never know what happened or why. But then, in 1980, the FBI got a tip that had everyone hopeful that they'd finally get some answers about Pixie's gruesome murder. Two years after Pixie's death, her husband David, the Iowa farmer, placed a reward notice in an Iowa paper offering $10,000 to anyone who could provide information leading to the person or people responsible for Pixie's death. And in March of 1980, an FBI agent got a call from a man who we'll call Ralph. And what Ralph told this FBI agent got everyone's attention. He might know who killed Pixie. Over the years, I have fallen in love with traveling. But one of the things that always gives me just a little bit of anxiety is traveling to another country where I may not speak the language. Because I really do want to be respectful and I'm just not the fastest learner when it comes to foreign languages. But recently, my husband and I went to Paris and he learned just a little bit of French beforehand. And I couldn't believe how well he did and how well it was received by the locals, even when there was a bit of confusion. So I decided to follow his lead and sign up for Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program. Rosetta Stone offers 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. And offers this feature called True Accents that gives you feedback on your pronunciations, which truly is a game changer for me. You can use it on your computer or as an app for your phone with the ability to download a session should you be offline and unable to access internet. So you can keep that learning going. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Deck listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash deck. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash deck today. I don't know about you, but I read reviews for everything. Mattresses I'm going to buy, restaurants I'm going to go to. If I'm going to spend my money, I want the best of the best. So why is it that we often don't treat our healthcare the same way? Enter ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. So don't settle. Go for the best and find the right doctor for you. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. I mean, it is your health, for goodness sakes. There is nothing more precious. Find the doctors who will spend the needed time with you and be confident that they'll take good care of you because you know how they've taken care of other people. That is what I'm looking for when I look at the reviews. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance or are located near you and treat basically any condition you're searching for. Go to ZocDoc.com deck and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book top-rated doctors today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash deck. ZocDoc dot com slash deck. Mm-hmm. 
Ralph said he had a buddy by the name of Pete Coakley. Both Ralph and his friend Pete were from Columbus, Ohio, which is eight minutes west of Whitehall. According to Ralph, Pete had left Ohio for a trip to Indiana sometime around the end of 1977. Pete was kind of a drifter, so it wasn't unusual for him to up and leave like that. A few months later, sometime in the spring of 78, Ralph got a call from Pete, who said that he was finally back in Ohio and wanted to hang out. Plus, Pete said that he had some stuff that he wanted to show him. So Ralph went and picked up Pete, and he was carrying two boxes packed with stuff, items that clearly weren't things that he had packed for his trip to Indiana. Like, it was mostly silverware, stuff like that. Now, at first, police were like, okay, this sounds like a bit of a stretch, but Ralph's story didn't end there. He said that later that same day, Pete's brother came over to hang out with them, and they were both asking Pete where he got all the houseware. And Pete was like, oh, I stole this stuff from an abandoned car at a hotel. Pete even offered to show them the car. So the men walked together to the Holiday Inn in Whitehall. When they got there, Pete showed Ralph the car parked on the east side of the lot and said that's where he had gotten the boxes full of stuff. Ralph told police that Pete also wanted them to help him steal the rims off the car's tires, but Ralph said that he caught a nasty whiff of something coming from the car. So the three of them left the hotel parking lot, and that was that. Ralph told the FBI agent that he didn't really think anything more of it until he saw the reward in the paper, and then it all seemed to connect for him. Pete had been in Indiana around the time Pixie went missing. He had those boxes of random items. He led him to the mysterious car. It made sense to Ralph that Pete was probably connected to Pixie's murder. And Ralph actually ended up taking investigators to the Holiday Inn parking lot to show them the parking spot. And surprise, it was the exact spot that Pixie's car was found in. So by the time police got this tip from Ralph, Pete was already in prison for another murder. He was serving 16 years for the 1979 killing of an Ohio woman named Patricia Height, who had been stabbed 47 times. Knowing this about Pete just made him look like an even more viable suspect. But law enforcement didn't think that this was the extent of his murderous rampage. Although it's never been proven, Pete was suspected of killing numerous people who were experiencing homelessness in Texas before he was arrested for Patricia's murder. So Pete's history, combined with Ralph's statement to the FBI, led to Pete becoming the prime suspect in Pixie's murder. And adding to all this suspicion was the composite sketch that police had on hand, the one that they got by hypnotizing that mechanic. Now, if you want to see the sketch, again, it's on our website. Agent Wheelie told us that when he saw the composite sketch and compared it with Pete's mugshot, his jaw dropped. Yeah, I was pretty shocked when I got this picture. I was like, oh boy, that's, uh, that's a dead ringer, you know. You got to be careful with composites, but that was pretty darn close. But even though Ralph's statement and the composite sketch resemblance were pretty damning, detectives knew that they would need more to actually charge Pete with the crime. So detectives took a copy of Pete's mugshot and showed it to multiple people in Marshall. Investigators were trying to independently determine if Pete had ever visited that part of Indiana. And sure enough, at least one person said they'd seen Pete in Marshall before. And this informant even knew of a buddy Pete had in the area that he'd been staying with for some time, a man by the name of Bob Vermillion. 
What's more is that Bob Vermillion actually lived very close to the house Pixie and Robert shared in Marshall, only about a quarter mile away. Here's Agent Wheely again. Ironically, Bob Vermillion was from Columbus, Ohio, too, and he moved back there, which is eight miles from Whitehall. So you've got a witness putting, and I'm telling you, uh, Marshall, Indiana is off the beaten path. To put someone in Marshall, Indiana and Whitehall, that's very suspect there. The evidence was stacking up against Pete, but everything was still entirely circumstantial. What investigators were holding out for was a confession from Pete himself. Police did get to interview Pete about Pixie's murder while he was in prison for the murder of Patricia Height, but Pete denied any involvement in Pixie's kidnapping and murder. Pete also denied ever being present at the Whitehall Holiday Inn. He claimed that everything Ralph said was an outright lie. And unfortunately, Pete stuck to that story, and police were stuck waiting for a confession that would never come. In 1982, three years after murdering Patricia Height, Pete died by suicide in prison. It had been four years since Pixie was killed, and the primary suspect was dead, and police had virtually no other leads to follow. And with that, Pixie's case went cold, and the case remained nearly motionless for decades. But don't go thinking that's the end of the story. The case wasn't closed and put away for good. In 2007, Agent Wheely got a hold of the case and started reworking it. And right away, he had an idea. Nearly 30 years had passed since Pixie's murder, and DNA could be the missing piece of the puzzle investigators needed to finally close the case. So Agent Wheely went out on a limb and asked the Whitehall Police Department if they still had the evidence for Pixie's case. He was especially interested in the rope that had been around Pixie's neck when she was found. He knew that it had to have been loaded with her killer's DNA. And sure enough, Whitehall PD did still have the evidence. It had been sitting there, untouched, for three decades. So Whitehall police sent the evidence to Agent Wheely, who then took it to the FBI's lab for testing. I was like, awesome! I was, I mean, oh, we were so excited. So they, he sends it out to us, we take it to the lab, and they open it up, and they're like, ugh, Plastic. As most of you might know, storing evidence in any kind of plastic is a big no-no for investigators nowadays. Plastic invites moisture and mold and ultimately destroys any usable DNA. So modern-day detectives now know to put their evidence in paper bags or envelopes. But this was the 1970s before anybody really knew better. Unfortunately, like I said, it was common evidence gets stored in plastic in the 70s. And and I was all excited when I had the evidence until I got to the lab and I showed it to them. And they're like, yeah, we'll try. But they, they they couldn't get anything. This was a huge blow to the investigation. Since there was almost no physical evidence tying Pete to the crime, they would need to hear from an eyewitness or get some other form of evidence to be satisfied that he was in fact the killer. But unfortunately, it was far too late for a confession and no one else was coming forward with information. You can't stop obsessing about it and trying to figure out what happened. And uh, it's frustrating because you hit a point that I can't take this any further. You know? um, What do you do in that situation? uh, You try to give the family as much closure on it as they can, you know? If this is the only evidence I have, I can't get a conviction based on this. I probably wouldn't even get charges filed. But, you know, the individual is deceased. 
you know, how much, how much closure can you give the family? Um, you know, I, th- I think we have st- strong evidence to believe he was there. So unfortunately, we just not guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. When we asked Pixie's sister, Eleanor, what she thought about the Pete theory, she said that she's not 100% sure, and she's not making any conclusions until there's enough evidence to warrant one. For more than 40 years, that's what Pixie's family had been waiting for, the evidence they needed to understand what happened to their beloved Pixie and why. Eleanor, Pixie's children, and all the other members of her family have waited long enough for justice. Investigators never gave up on this case, and they're not about to start now. So if you have any information on the kidnapping and murder of Mary Beth Grismore, a.k.a. Pixie, no matter how insignificant you think it might be, please speak up. Call the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. That's 1-800-225-5324. Or you can visit tips.fbi.gov. And again, please check our website. Check that list of items that were missing from her car. You might have seen one. You might have one. And that might be the missing piece to the puzzle. The Deck is an audio Chuck production with theme music by Ryan Lewis. To learn more about The Deck and our advocacy work, visit thedeckpodcast.com. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com podcast 25. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 